Uh, it's great to be back with you again this morning. Um, I think we're getting uh, to know each other a little bit. I think this is, this, I know this is my fourth um, visit here. Um, it, it is a little, the month apart thing, it's, it's a little bit strange. Um, sometimes it feels like I haven't been here for ages and then, then the next minute I feel like I was here yesterday. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's really good to see you all this morning. Welcome to anybody who's new. Um, and uh, let's pray and ask for God's help, shall we? Our Father in heaven, what a great privilege it is um, to um, be gathered here um, as your children this morning. Um, we thank you that we can do that freely and without fear of persecution and that we can come and listen to your word and what a privilege that is and certainly for me to teach it. And Father, as we think about these truths this morning, um, we worship you and we bless your name. These truths are so precious. They're so powerful, so rich, so life-giving. We thank you for your word. Help us to listen carefully, for me to speak clearly, and may we all treasure up this word in our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, I think there may be one or two here for the first time this morning. So, it's just um, a reminder of why study Song of Songs. Um, I think um, what drew me to it in the beginning was um, the amazing love of God um, for his people. And I, and I think, and my own personal experience in ministry, um, that I think um, ladies understand <coughs> that so little, the amazing love of God um, for us. That's, that is my prayer for, for you, um, for us here, um, as we go through the book, that we will know that amazing love of God in a deeper way. And I think that Song of Songs it's also little studied. That was one of the reasons that attracted me to it. But Song of Songs seems to tell the fundamental story of the Bible. Um, the amazing love of God for his people. That's why I call the series Best Song Ever. Um, and in that sense, we have much to learn um, about... Um, the response of the bride to the king as we go through this book. Um, it's how useful it, that is for, for us in terms of human marriage and in terms of our own response to King Jesus as, as he woos us and wins us with his love over the course of our lives. Song of Songs is, is obviously love poetry. It's a love song where the main theme is the multi-layered relationship between a bride and her king. 
where the human love between the king of um, Israel and a peasant girl points us to a far, far greater love, that of Christ and for his church. So last time in chapter 2, we saw the king calling his future bride to go with him into the mountains and hills of life to come out of her comfortable place and run with him. But she (laughs) preferred to stay where she was, didn't she? Where it was comfortable, where there was no risk. And that rang a few bells for us, didn't it? So now we come to chapter 3. It's one of the high points in the whole book. One of my personal favourites. And it's the long-awaited wedding ceremony between the bride and the king who doesn't love a wedding. Though, as we'll see, it's not much like our weddings today. So this chapter um, divides neatly into two halves for me. And... um, Verses 1 to 4, I'm going to call the bride's longing. And then verses 6 to 11, the king's arrival. So first the bride's longing, and then the king's arrival. And if I was describing my wedding day, I would have had to switch these two around, as there was the king's longing and eventually the bride's arrival. But in the song, in the song, first it's the bride's longing. So she says, All night long I looked on, sorry, all night long on my bed I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him, she says. Note here the bride is speaking of her bed, not their bed. This adds to the impression that the bride and the king are not married yet and will not consummate their relationship until chapter 4. And you'll have to wait until July for that one. Yes, ladies, you can wait till July. And what is plain in the text is that the bride is longing for the king. Her longing is intense. Four times in four verses, she says she looked for the one her heart loves. They seem to be apart, and there's longing in these verses. You can feel it in the poetry, I think. Remember last time we saw the king inviting the bride to come away with him into a new season of life. And what does she say? No thanks. You go. I'll stay here where I'm comfortable. He's running over the mountains and she stayed home. And so now there's distance between them. And the intimacy that we saw in the earlier chapters, we saw um, in his private chambers and at the banqueting table and, and all this love language, well, that's been broken. And she's longing for him. Her heart is literally aching for him. She's in anguish. She's sore. She's in pain. She's yearning. She's searching and searching now for the one 
her heart loves. Ladies, isn't that the evidence that you love someone? When there's a separation or there's a loss of intimacy, you feel it, don't you? We do. We can't bear it and we seek and seek until we've got that intimacy back again. That's the evidence that we love someone. And obviously that's not difficult to apply um, at the level of human love. Married ladies here, do you remember what it felt like to be engaged? If you can remember that far back. (laughs) And to long for that day, for the consummation of, of the engagement, of the betrothal, to be married. And if this is true in our human relationships, It's also true in our relationship with Christ or it should be that we're never satisfied with how much we know him how much we love him the evidence that we belong to Christ is that we want more of him and as the wider church dare I say it in Cape Town today is is in a time of decline and, and compromise and everybody loves Jesus that's what they say but the evidence that you love Jesus is that you want more of Jesus is that true for you? do you want more of Jesus? do you long for more of Christ like you you longed for the person you were going to marry if you're married even if you're not married I'm sure you can imagine that longing and our bride she doesn't find her lover despite looking for him all night actually in the original the word could be translated nights plural so maybe night after night she looks for him she even gets up and goes out into the city to look for him but she doesn't find him and I guess we've all had times like this in our relationship with Jesus I know I have times when my heart has been cold um, towards him I'm the one that brought that about by my own sin by my apathy, my love of comfort, (coughs) my busyness, my coldness. I can be in church services or having quiet time or attending some really great Bible (coughs) conference. I can even be teaching the Bible. But I can come away feeling that I've not met with him. I looked for him, but I didn't find him. I think when that's the case, ladies, let's not pretend. Let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with the Lord. Maybe tell a close friend, I'm searching for him right now. Please pray for me. I can't find him. I've I've lost some intimacy with Jesus. Let's say sorry to him and make it right. 
There's another poem in the Bible where the speaker is seeking, yearning, in bed, at night. Can you guess who that is? That's David. Yeah, Solomon's father. And he writes of his longing for God in Psalm 63, verse 1, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. So Solomon is the presumed author of Song of Songs. So here we have, in Song of Songs, the son of David has dramatised that same kind of intense longing that his father was speaking of in the psalm. Solomon depicts the bride longing for the king in the same way that King David longed for God. So let me ask you, do you long for the Lord like the bride yearns for the king or David yearned for the Lord? Do you yearn for the Lord like that? That's quite challenging, isn't it? Well, our bride, she doesn't go back to sleep. She gets out of bed and she gets up to find him, even in the middle of the night, even in the city, and she resolves to do whatever it takes to find the one her heart loves. I'm not saying, obviously, that we literally go about our city in the middle of the night. That would be crazy. But are you resolved to do whatever it takes? to have that intimacy day by day if you're a Christian here this morning day by day for the rest of your life with your love with your king I know I've said this before and I think you've been chatting about it around your tables already this morning but one of the problems that we face in our age is the noise and the toys the TV social media, Facebook, our cell phones, too many people. These things don't help intimacy with anyone. Those of us who are married, they don't help intimacy with our husbands and they don't help intimacy with the Lord Jesus. The list of temptations that keep (coughs) us from seeking him is endless. Food, Sleep, pleasure, holidays, TV, social media, friends, family, work, business, studies. None of these things are bad in themselves. But if they get too great a grip on our hearts, the time that they take up, the love they, they eat, it eats away at us from the inside and it spoils our intimacy with the one who has should have first place in our lives and we have to put down these <coughs> things ladies so that we can search intensely like the bride does 
and praise God, in, initially she doesn't find him. Um, twice she says this, I looked for him but did not find him. And, and I would just add here that sometimes for his own wise reasons, Christ sometimes hides himself from those who seek him. Maybe he wants us to realise how much we do need him, how much he means to us. And our bride, she must have been tempted to give up, but she doesn't. She even inquires of the watchman in the city, have they seen the one her heart loves? She's not too embarrassed or proud to ask for help. But at the end of the day, she does have to search for him herself. And you and I are going to have to search for him ourselves. Others are only there to point us to him or to pray for us, to help us, encourage us. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility. And then praise God. Finally, her search is rewarded. The text doesn't say how she found him, but she's been persistent. She doesn't give up and she finds him. Verse 4. I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go. Our bride had missed him. She'd taken him for granted. But her search is rewarded and now she's holding him and will not let him go. Isn't it true that the more that you want something, the longer you have to wait for it, the longer you have to search for it, the more satisfying it is when you find it. And so today, if you think you've lost a sense of his presence, maybe you've allowed your relationship with Christ to become cold or distant. Maybe for some of you here, it's always been like that, rather polite and formal. Go searching for the king. I know I've had to say to him many times that I don't love, I have to say I don't love you like I want to. Maybe there's an area or even some areas that you're not willing to, to give up or to hand over to him and these are affecting your intimacy with Jesus. Things like a painful time in the past, somebody you can't, won't forgive, long struggle with a particular sin Jesus you can't go there well these things matter they get in the way of intimacy I know that full well maybe some of us here today need to say to Jesus Lord I'm willing to go with you now I don't want to be where I am anymore I want to go away with you on the mountains and the hills I'll go now and I'll serve I'll serve you all my days and you don't stop seeking until you find him and when you find him you commit to hold on to him with your whole heart and never let him go just like the bride does in verse 4 <coughs> Scarcely had I passed them, 
that's the watchman when I found the one my heart loves I held him and I would not let him go she says you can literally feel the relief coming out of the poetry I think when we seek him with all our hearts ladies he has promised we will find him you know that promise well don't you Jeremiah 29:13 It's you will seek me and find me when when you seek me with all your heart I will found by you I will be found by you declares the Lord You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Then we come to verse 5, which is an interesting little verse. The bride says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now, if you've been reading the song, which I hope you have, you'll have noticed that this is the second time the bride says it. It's like um, a refrain. She said it the first time in chapter 2, verse 7. She says it again here. And she says it again in chapter 8. It's like a little mini chorus. Remember that um, in chapter 2, the bride likened her lover to a gazelle or a young stag. And now her friends are likened to gazelles and does. It's meant to be a picture of grace and lightness of foot and speed and sure-footedness. And she's pleading with her friends, you young girls, there are young men out there who you might, met, who you might wed one day. So don't stir up or awaken love in the wrong way. That's what she's saying. And it's pretty easy to guess what stirring up or awakening love means. It's the kind of emotional and physical behaviour that leads to physical intimacy. In case you haven't got it yet, it leads to sex. She doesn't want these young girls to forego this pleasure altogether. That's not what she's saying. But she does want them to defer it until they're married. That way, love can be enjoyed to the full. Now, I know this is a very hard thing for a single girl in the world to understand today if there are any of you I know that's a hard thing for you to understand because in one sense love will always give pleasure outside of marriage prior to marriage in this case love could give pleasure but it comes at a price and that price ladies is shame and fear and guilt and regret and don't underestimate it 
Love gives the greatest pleasure in marriage and so the bride is saying to her young friends, don't stir up and awaken love until you can have the greatest pleasure from it. Because God is not a killjoy. He is the inventor of love and sex and he's given it as a great gift. (coughs) He's written this book and we're coming to that. We're coming. But to married ladies he's given this gift so that they may enjoy it with the most pleasure and the least regret. And as we cannot, we cannot cause a spouse to appear for us and a wedding to happen, no matter how much we, mean we, we might yearn for it, we must look to Jesus for our joy and satisfaction until that day comes. And now that day has come in the song, verses 6 to 11, the moment we've all been waiting for, the royal wedding. No, not that wedding. (laughs) This one in Song of Songs. So we've looked at the bride's longing and now we get to the arrival of the king. Before we get into these verses, let me tell you a bit about Jewish weddings in the time of Solomon. Marriages were usually arranged, um, probably by parents, and then there was betrothal, which is like our engagement period. But then the bridegroom would go back to his home and make his house ready for married life. Imagine trusting him with that. I mean, just just the kitchen alone. And then after a period of time, he would come back for her, generally within a year. And there were no cell phones or emails or anything like that in those days. So she didn't know when he was coming. And she had to be ready. She had to be ready for her own wedding and she didn't even know the date. (laughs) Not quite like the royal wedding in a week's time and the whole world knows that date. He would come back for her and then the bride and groom would travel back to the house that he's got ready together in a whole long wedding procession which could take days or even weeks. And there would be, then there would, when they got back there to the house, there would be like a seven day wedding feast. And only then after all this paraphernalia would life, married life together begin. So that's the context into which, verse 6, our bride says, Who is this? Coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant. Okay, now I know that you read your Bibles, ladies. So, column of smoke, 
is meant to remind careful readers of the Bible of the pillar of cloud and fire that led Israel through the wilderness after God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And it's meant to remind us of the smoke that covered Mount Sinai when the Lord came down the mountain to give the law to Moses. And myrrh and incense were the spices used in anointing the the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony in those years in the desert. And the bride asks, Who is this? And she answers herself, Look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest in Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. So Solomon seems to be in a sort of box-like covered carriage, ornate, decorated, and it's carried on poles that rested on warriors' shoulders. It had curtains, giving us the idea that this is rather like Solomon's own personal tabernacle or Ark of the Covenant. When you remember that the king in the poem is a type of Christ, This box-like carriage is giving us a picture of a sort of New Testament Ark of the Covenant. Just as the tabernacle, when it was on the move in the desert, was surrounded by the tribes of Israel, they're described as Ark in um, Exodus described as army regiments marching out to war so Solomon here carried on poles like the tabernacle like the ark was surrounded by these crack troops so picture this just as Yahweh came up out of Egypt his presence in the tabernacle over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant borne along by poles on the shoulders of the priests preceded by a pillar of fire and cloud so in the song Solomon comes up like a column of smoke from the desert in a box like covered tent carried on poles that rest on the soldiers on the shoulders of his warrior servants surrounded by his special forces you have here the arrival of the great king in Jerusalem for the consummation of the covenant he's come to get his bride And have you noticed that at this wedding all eyes are on the king 
Not like our wedding today, when all eyes are on the bride. Well, why might that be? Yes, there's a wedding feast happening here in the human love story. There is. But can you see how Solomon is using this to point us to a far, far grander wedding feast in the future? The poetry points us back to the covenant between Yahweh and his people at Sinai and it points us forward to the covenant between Christ and the church at the end of all human history. Amazing. And finally the bride says, look, verse 11, look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. The day the king's heart rejoiced? The king in the song is utterly awestruck at the sight of his bride in the song. And on that day, another king will be utterly awestruck when he sees you when he sees me can you imagine that that we will give him such joy when he sees us face to face how could that be I can't understand that I don't think I'll ever understand that that his heart will rejoice when he sees me but the Bible says that the day he takes us to be his, ladies, his heart will rejoice at the sight of you and the sight of me. This is the heart of the book. I think it's the heart of the whole book. The king who came to woo and win his bride. This is the song above all the other songs. It's the best song ever. So as I close, let's think a little bit about what this means for us. And I say this then sensitively. For any unmarried ladies here today who are longing for a spouse, but they can't make one appear, what hope there is in this word for you. Even if the Lord never gives you a husband in this life, if you will trust in Jesus, he will save you and you will dwell with him forever and all the longings of your heart will be fulfilled. You will be his bride and he will be your incomparable bridegroom. Maybe you are married, but you're still longing. You're longing for love from your own spouse. And you can't make that happen either. What hope there is 
in this word for you. Let me encourage you to place all your longing onto another person and another time. To trust in Jesus and he will save you. And you will dwell with him forever and the longings of your heart will be fulfilled and you too will be his bride and he will be your incomparable bridegroom. Ladies, with unfulfilled longings for marriage or in marriage, let me encourage you to take all that raw longing and pain that you rightly feel and place it on that day when that king will come and take you to be his bride. Place around yourself the boundaries of the admonition in verse 5 and trust that in God's good time Christ will come for you just as he was seen to go. And for those of us who are happily married, I think there's perhaps a little warning here for us. We may not have the pain of singleness or perhaps a loveless marriage, but we are not to get too comfortable with our earthly husbands. We too need to be stirring up the same kind of longing that our bride describes at the beginning of this chapter for the heavenly bridegroom and for his return. We also should be longing for that day and that wedding when Jesus will save us when we will be married to him forever. Ladies, let's feast. Let's all feast our imagination on the glory of that day because as great as King Solomon was and as impressive as the parade of his carriage and his army would have been the one coming the coming of the one (coughs) greater than Solomon coming on the clouds of heaven will be far far Let's pray. Just a moment while we let these this truth sink into our hearts. Heavenly Father, what a glorious day that will be when we will see you face to face and you see us and you rejoice. Please help us to search for greater intimacy with you with the kind of longing that the bride has in our song. May we encourage one another to put aside the things that get in the way of this, the noise and the toys, and not to be content until we can say, I have found the one my heart loves. 
thank you for your wonderful promise that those who seek you with all their hearts will find you. We pray your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, Amen.